Hello, Minnesota boxing fans, and welcome to another episode of the Minnesota Fight Night podcast. I'm Brian Johnson, and my co-host is Sean Strauss. Today, we're pleased to be joined by Rob Lear, a boxing publicist and longtime broadcast journalist in the Twin Cities. In his 23-plus years with KSTP-TV, Rob covered all the major league sports in town, plus special events ranging from the 1980, 84, and 88 Olympic Games to a heavyweight boxing championship bout in Bloomington. As a young reporter in 1980, he had a front row seat to the U.S. Olympic hockey team's memorable Miracle on Ice gold medal run. Rob was also a senior investigative reporter for KSTP-TV. Rob is currently the owner of Lear Communications, a Minneapolis-based provider of a wide range of media relations services. In that capacity, he serves as boxing publicist for the historic Minneapolis Armory, which has hosted a number of nationally televised cards featuring top fistic talent. In this interview, Rob talks about his broadcast journalism career, shares stories about Minnesota boxing greats such as Scott Ledoux, and explains what it's like to put on a major boxing event. I hope you enjoy the interview. Pleased to be joined by Rob Lear. Um, people who um, watched KSTP TV back in the day, I'm sure uh, will be familiar with his voice and his face if they could see us on the podcast. But uh, Rob, ha- Rob was a longtime uh, sports journalist or journalist with KSTP TV, award-winning journalist, um, covered many big sporting events through the years, and um, did some investigative reporting, if I'm not mistaken, there as well at KSTP, uh, really broke some big stories. And um, now, uh, more recently, uh, Rob has his uh, own communications firm, PR firm, Lear Communications in Minneapolis. And in that capacity, he's also uh, working with the Armory on uh, publicity as a boxing publicist there. So lot of exciting things going on and uh look forward to talking to you about that but uh rob thanks for joining us man well brian thank you and uh sean uh, certainly nice to meet you and uh you know boxing is uh, one of my passions and uh i uh, just like everybody else we're, we're really uh we're missing the local component of boxing you can only watch so much of it on tv from a distance and uh and and you know stay up with all the uh the nuances of the game because it's uh, it's been a long dry spell for all of us and uh, so thanks for having me delighted to talk about boxing yeah absolutely well i wonder if we could start out if you could a little maybe introduce yourself a little bit to folks who aren't familiar with your career and you started at uh, kstp back in what the late 70s or something like that and how, how <laughs> yeah. long were you there well only if people had black and white televisions might they remember my broadcasting days. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Minneapolis uh, guy, born, raised in Minneapolis, went to Southwest High School. Uh, I went to college at the University of North Dakota. Um, and that's where I really got my, my broadcasting start was uh, at the college radio and television station up in Grand Forks. And then I worked for the NBC affiliate in Grand Forks. And that's really where I cut my teeth and uh, where I... I got to where uh, I always told people, you, people said, what does it take to be a reporter? What, what, you know, what, what is the, what's the, one, the one, one asset you need to have? And I said, it's, you gotta be somebody that can't keep a secret. You gotta be someone that's curious. You wanna know things. You keep prodding, uh, prodding and, and, and probing, and then you wanna be able to share it. And uh, so I uh, yes, started at KSTP uh, in, in 1979. Um, and within the first year of being at KSTP, I had some very unique circumstances that came up, but I, uh, I ended up at the uh, uh, 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. I was at the Miracle and Ice game, um, and I was there because our, wow. senior, our senior colleague at KSTP, great man, uh, God rest his soul, uh, Ed Cairo, uh, who was a big boxing guy. Uh, he covered the Flanagans. He covered all the, the greats in Minnesota. Uh, 
Ed covered the Olympics and he got laryngitis 10 days into the games. He was working, you know, 20 hour days and, and uh, all the excitement and everything that was happening with the Olympics. Um, he just, he was there physically, uh, but he couldn't, he couldn't track his own stories. He couldn't do the interviews. And so I went into work, um, you know, again, only been working at KSTP for nine months. They told me to uh, uh, go hop on a plane. You're flying into Albany, New York, and you'll get picked up and driven into Lake Placid. You're going to start to uh, to do the things that Ed Cairo couldn't do because you've got a voice. Mm. And, uh, you know, who, who would know that as we sit here today, it, uh, I happen to be uh, witness to what is still to this day considered one of the greatest sporting events of our time and uh, great thrill and, and got to know, of course, all the, uh, the players on the Miracle on Ice team and uh, got to know some of the nuances of Herb Brooks and um, their relationships the, the, to this day um, are relationships that I've benefited from both personally and professionally. And uh, so that's, that's kind of my background. And yeah, I worked for in the sports side for 14 years. Um, and I ended up working on the news investigative side and worked on that side for 10 years. And um, I've been out now for 15 years and I've got my own practice. And Brian, that's how you and I uh, had our uh, worlds collide and uh, started to meet at boxing uh, matches and cards and um, uh you know, I got introduced to boxing because my one of my best friends and you guys have hosted him here on this podcast is uh, Louis de Cubas yep. uh, with Warriors Boxing out of South Florida. Louis's been in the fight game a long time, and I'm sure he told you how many world champions he's had and how many fighters and, uh, you know, what he's done for boxing. You know, someday he'll end up in the International uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. But um, Louis introduced me to boxing and that's when I started to do uh, cards at Target Center. And uh, boy, you think back to some of those days at Target Center and the Bonsante and Banda cards. And, uh, you know, there, there were a couple that we did 10, 11,000 people. And uh, right. Sean, I don't know if you were there. I know Brian was there because that's, that's where you and I met. But uh, those were some really fun days. And and it was also great that uh, that Scott Ledoux then became the boxing commissioner back in those days, and uh, he just he gave local boxing such uh, tremendous credibility at a time that it really needed it really needed some of that stability. Yeah, that was a great. Just uh, <clears throat> you mentioned the Target Center and the Bonsanti Vanda fight, and that just uh, wonderful uh, event, and. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that can top it is boxing at the armory. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and it, 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 I, I mean, I agree. I mean, uh, uh, I, I think boxing at the armory, I mean, that venue is made for boxing, you know, to be able to, to stand uh, 30 yards from the center of the ring and to be able to actually look at boxers right at their eye level. You know, when you sit up on that platform, you know, where the general admission can stand, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you're just, your eye contact right there and the, uh, you know, coming through COVID here and, and we all hope that someday soon they're going to reopen. You know, I don't know if we can recapture that because I mean, it's a lot of people standing pretty close together. Um, mm -hmm. but that, and that, and that's kind of the aura of the, of the, of the venue that made it so special. Um, but we'll eventually get back to that. Yeah, sadly, I wasn't ever at those Target Center fights. Um, well, not the ones you mentioned. I did go see some fights at the Target Center. Um, but the Armory, I've been to many fights, and I have to agree with you guys. I think that place is really, really special. I've been to my, uh, my birthday, sort of an annual event. Like, I love to go to fights this year. I won't be able to, obviously, since we don't have them here. Um, but I used to go up to Hinkley. What's that? When's your birthday? Uh, April 16th. Yeah. So it's coming gonna... up. No, I was going to say, uh, you mentioned Louis uh, de Cubas, which I missed that interview. Thanks to Brian uh, for getting that done. Um, great job, Brian. I just saw on Twitter, um, I want to say not even an hour ago or, or so, um, that his name was mentioned, that Eddie Hearn uh, was talking to him um, about getting Canelo and uh, Caleb Plant made, assuming that Canelo beats Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, coming up so that's that's interesting it's always nice to see uh 
Jakubas's name mentioned out there. Well, that would probably be his son, though, right? That probably wasn't Louis Sr. Uh, I don't know. It didn't say Junior. Does does Junior just go by Luis de Cubas? Yeah. And not by Junior? Yeah, he's a big-time matchmaker, right? Right. The right. son? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I misunderstood. I thought that was the same same person. I didn't well, realize the son they, didn't go by Junior. They're the same blood, but it's, uh, yeah, there's a couple generations apart there. Okay. That'd be a good fight if they can make it. Oh, it'd be a great fight. You know, you mentioned Scott Ledoux. Um, just uh, a few minutes ago. And I'm curious, did you get a chance to cover the fight here at uh, when you fought Larry Holmes here at the, uh, the old Met center? Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, I got, you know, um, uh, Ledoux and Joe Daskowitz. I, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, the characters that Scott Ledoux used to um, uh, attract. And then that became, you know, his, his corner men, and his trainers and his cut men. I mean, I mean, they, it was a thing out of a Rocky movie. And this was before Rocky movies were ever made, right? And uh, you must have met Joe Daskowitz along the way. I mean, even now in his senior years, I, uh, but just a character. Yeah. But, but Scott, Scott, uh, much like the, the Circle of Discipline has a uh, facility up in a kind of a remote part of our state up in Barnum, Minnesota, and they do their training to kind of focus when they need to focus. Scott Ledoux had a training camp in an old barn up in Dayton, Minnesota. And um, I mean, and to him, this was as remote and back of the woods as you could get. And I mean, there was literally, I mean, I, what I remember, because I, I, before he fought Holmes, we went up and, and did a couple of stories I mean, there was hay on the, you know, on the on the dirt floor of this, uh, you know, barn that had been built, and they put a ring in the middle of it. Mm. And um, but it was just it was old school, old time boxing. Mm. And um, you know, some of the great Scott Ledoux stories that I'm sure you've heard, and, and he told you know, uh, Scott did a lot of sparring for you know the big, you know. Ledoux was always what a top 10 ranked fighter, mm -hmm. maybe not even any higher than, I mean, but was he ever, I mean, he, yeah, he fought for one world championship, mm -hmm. but I don't think he was ever in the above the top 10. Yeah. He was just on the cusp there. Right. Right. Okay. But he did a lot of sparring. I mean, mm -hmm. he, a lot of these guys used to bring him in and mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't, you know, didn't have the quickest feet, didn't have the, the heaviest punch. But everybody, I mean, anybody that knew Scott Ledoux, you just wanted to hang with Scott Ledoux because he was just a great storyteller, mm -hmm. just, a, you know, salt of the earth guy. And yeah. I mean, he, you know, anybody that knew Scott was his friend and uh, yeah. he just was a very friendly guy. And then some of the greatest uh, stories that Scott used to tell about boxing was going to these training camps and just being the sparring partner, being the punching bag. And then, you know, typically when he was getting somebody ready for a big fight, he made good money at it. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, at the end of his uh, career, you know, Scott was like selling for U-Haul trucking. You know, he, he was a logistics sales guy. Mm -hmm. And so he'd much rather spend three hours in the ring getting hit in the head as a sparring partner. He thought that money was, was easier to be made than to try to hit the pavement, trying to sell logistics that yeah. uh, really didn't interest him. So, but yeah. one, of, one of the big characters and, and really good guys. And, you know, when Scott was the commissioner, uh, boy, that, that was a time when boxing really needed leadership. It really needed credibility. And you'll remember that the governor at that time came in and took out over the oversight of boxing um, because they really wanted to have, you know, they wanted to have some structure to the sport and to make sure that, you know, you're holding weigh-ins for a reason, you either make weight or you don't, you don't, you know, if it was close, that's not good enough. I mean, if you're going to be a sanctioned sport, you got to, but it's Scott brought those, that integrity back into boxing and, and especially at a time it desperately needed it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, he used to talk, well, there are a lot of mismatches too back in the day, you know, a, a big star fighter going up against, you know, Kenny get up. And I mean, that was a little oh, crazy, dusty right? trunks. Yeah. Dusty right. trunks. <laughs> yeah. Scott had the same three lines and you used them at every news conference. <laughs> and you always came away laughing because yeah. the way you would say it. Yeah. One of my favorite Ledoux stories is I think the very last fight of his career he fought a young up-and-coming uh, British fighter, uh, Frank Bruno. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, Scott got knocked out in third round or something like that. And uh, people asked him afterwards, well, well, Scott, how do you think you would have done against uh, Frank Bruno in your, in your prime, when you were in your prime? Scott, without missing a beat, said, well, I would have knocked him out, no problem. Really? Well, what makes you think that? Well, Bruno was like nine years old at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a character. He was a character. But, you know, we talked about the Ledoux-Holmes fight, and I actually attended that fight. I was there, and it was, it was, a, it was an event. It was fun. Yep. And, you know, we, we knew that, you know, going in that the, the odds were against Ledoux. I mean, frankly, he wasn't in Larry Holmes league honestly but you know just to have a heavyweight fight a heavyweight championship fight oh. here in town at the Met Center that was a big deal you did know the, and and, and this did is Scott get, to get a thumb in the eye yeah he did yeah 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 I remember that yeah but that was a big deal and I remember going to watch Larry Holmes actually training uh yeah he had some workout sessions as I recall here in town before the fight and I just remember him taking the microphone afterwards and, you know, there's a pretty nice crowd there. And he said, you know, yeah, I know this is Ledoux's hometown, but it looks like I have some fans here too. And mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, how, I suppose we could look it up, but how old would Holmes have been for that fight? I'm guessing that was right around 19, 1980, I believe. Right, uh, right. So that would have been two years after he won the uh, WBC title from Ken Norton in the split decision. Um, so he was still, uh, pretty early in his career yeah. in his, in his championship run. And we didn't know at the time, you know, what a really great champion he would be. But that same year that, um, I remember Muhammad Ali was at that fight. Remember yeah. that? Oh and yeah. Oh yeah. He got up and was trash talking Oh yeah. <laughs> afterwards. Oh, that was quite a spectacle. That was a good, that was a lot of good memories there. No question. And, uh, uh, I remember that that crowd that day was was significant. I mean, it wasn't sold out, but there was a really, I mean, there was, would you say 12, 13,000 people yeah. at the Met Center? Yeah. It was like a nice that. crowd. Where was it that uh, Ledoux was fighting? And I, don't, I can't recall who it was, but it's, it's such a hilarious uh, image that apparently he uh, knocked off Howard Purcell's toupee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Johnny Boudreaux fight, wasn't it, Rob? And that was, it was in Vegas. I think that was one of those Don King tournaments that was held. It was on ABC TV right. and the Duke clearly won the fight, but they gave the decision to the other guy. I think it was Johnny Boudreau, a King fighter. Mm -hmm. And the uh, obviously wasn't happy about it. And in the little scuffle that ensued afterwards, you know, Howard's uh, hairpiece went flying apparently. Um, that was the story anyway. But I remember that fight. I remember watching it on television. But, but uh, the mileage that Ledoux, Sean, got out of that that incident. I mean, you know, <laughs> he, 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 he took that to another level, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it just, uh, you know, he made it sound like he had planned it. And believe me, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't plan it. It just turned out that way. Yeah. Well, he was a character. What other, do you remember other uh, memorable uh, fights that you covered back in the day or just even uh, attended as a fan? Well, you know, the, the one that sticks out, I remember, I don't think he, we fought, when you did the research on who fought at the Armory, Sugar Ray Leonard, mm -hmm. I don't think ever fought at the Armory, but he came in right. and, and, and called a fight for like ESPN there, there was like a really good card back in that eight, early 80s before they went dark in that building. And the Sugar Ray Leonard mm -hmm. was at that fight in a, in a broadcast capacity. They brought him in as a celebrity of some kind. But 
I just remember he was a bigger draw than the than the card, and, and that's what I remember. Yeah. And yeah, I was looking on uh, uh, about the facts about who's fought at the Armory. There's, you know, the Sugar Ray Robinson was supposedly fought there once, oh, yeah. and uh, oh, yeah, you know, obviously the Flanagans and stuff like that. But uh, and I look up uh, tons Henry of Henry Armstrong. Henry Armstrong, Fritzy Zivic. Uh, I have I actually helped Rob do some research on the history of the Armory, and um, that was one of my first uh, assignments when I was working yep. for you there and helping helping out uh, with some of that. That was just a blast doing that research, and um, but uh, yeah, just a great so so much history there in that venue, and and you know what? It's you, you can just feel it when you walk into that building, but at the same time, it's a modern venue. You know, it's got it's got the best of both worlds, I think. And now we're creating new memories going forward. Jamal's fight against, you know, what a great fight that was. And, and just, uh, he had, you've had multiple world title fights there with Durrell and um, the guy who just fought uh, Canelo, uh, the, the, the Turkish fellow, Ildirim. Um, uh, yeah, Ildirim, I, I remember yeah. trying to get a, I remember trying to get a quote from him after that fight, and oh my gosh, he was just so out of his mind uh, with uh, just sobbing. He was literally sobbing um, just because of the circumstances, how I lost that fight on a cut and lost on a technical decision. Because I think when they stopped the fight, he thought he had won. Yeah, I think but, you're right. I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, anyway. No, even now with, with the rebirth of the armory and what, I mean, it, it's closed, been closed for a year now, but it, it had what two and a half years or almost three years. And there's were well, there eight cards there, Brian. Do you remember how many cards we've had at the armory? About that, yeah, that's about, about right. Eight, yeah, yeah, eight cards in, in three years. Um, I now that I'm watching boxing locally on a national level and watching it on television, I'm surprised on how many fighters that have been on armory cards that are now on national television, you know, a couple oh, of sure. years later, um, which speaks to, which speaks really to the depth and the talent that the boxing fans of Minnesota have had a chance to watch if they come on down to the armory. Yeah. Um, and um, Absolutely. yeah, especially with those Fox PBC cards, you know, yeah. you see such a breadth of talent, you know, um, I've, I've been to, like I said, to a few of those cards now and I've noticed undercard fighters who weren't on the televised portions before who are now on televised portions um it's pretty pretty awesome yeah no. not to mention we get all those celebrities coming to do the announcing which is pretty great you know oh, yeah. I, I mentioned caleb plant earlier i know i've seen him ringside you get boom boom mancini and um you know it's just really cool to get those guys coming to minnesota who was the big heavyweight the, the former champ that came in brian well, Charles Martin was there. Charles Martin, uh, he was a former. Well, I don't, well yeah, he fought, but but uh, yeah. who, who was the, the, the broadcast that? Um... Oh, Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis. Yeah, Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, I enjoyed chatting with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good. He's a good uh, broadcaster. I think he does a pretty good job with the uh, uh, commentary on those fights. And Joe Goosen is fun to listen oh, to. Yeah. Well. He's Goosen. great. Yeah. those guys are always going back and forth at each other it's hilarious <laughs> yeah you know when uh just uh you know i've been behind the scenes just enough to appreciate the work that goes into putting on an event like that and i was wondering rob if you could maybe share with us uh, a little bit about just kind of what it takes to put on a big time nationally televised boxing card at the armory just in a general sense, and then maybe segue into um, kind of your role as a publicist. Well, and I, I, I think the behind the curtain look that people don't really understand or maybe don't quite under or, or have uh, heard much about, put it that way, um, is the number of people. And, uh, you know, the National Fox folks will come in with PBC and they've got a crew of almost 100. And it's a hundred uh, technical people, camera people, um, and and they come in there, and you know, which is the life of big league venues. I mean, you know, you don't get much lead time. You know, one show moves out, and overnight the next show is moving in, and they come in, and you know, they've 
they all want to do their own lighting. They all want to do their own sound. And in boxing, of course, you know, the stage is the ring. And they want to be able to have, you know, their studio have all the gadgets that technology now has available. And uh, I mean, they're doing, you know, with a hundred people and that when they come in there and set up a show, I mean, there, there's been a couple of shows, Brian, and you can vouch for this, that, I mean, they're, they're still stretching the canvas on the, on the mat, you know, and the people are walking in the, you know, to see the preliminary fights. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's just not a lot of time. And, um, but it takes so many people. And then on the, on the, on, you know, so you got the television people that are coming in, the venue themselves, the armory, I mean, they staff all of the, the ushers, the security, the concessions, the parking, you know, that's its own entity, the business of running the venue for that event. And then um, there's, there's the PBC, I mean, the, the talent providers of the show, and they come in with, you know, 40 people that are in various capacities and roles. And so there's just, and, and they're in there and it's, they're in there for a 10 hour event which impacts so many careers and the purses for those, the, the purses for those 12 fights on that night's card are in excess of a million, a million dollars. You know, it's one point, you know, the purses at, at the armory and they never go public with this, but you, you know, you know, there's always at least one title up for grabs and then there's a, a title eliminator and then you got this and you got that. But those purses are always at the, the, the armory purses have always been between 1.2 and $1.8 million up for grabs for an eight hour broadcast of fighters from all over the world. And it just, there's not a lot of, lot of buildup here locally, but it just happens and it happens like clockwork. And the medical personnel that are there, the doctors, the physicals, I mean, nothing happens by chance. Everything is very calculated. Everything is very scheduled. And so you really, you get a great respect for the way that this sport conducts itself in today's times. And of course, in Minnesota, it's regulated. And, you know, the judges that sit ringside, the, the, the referees, um, there's a good, I don't know, two dozen people from the state of Minnesota that are represented by the Boxing Commission to help facilitate that event. And my role is, is as small as it is, is to provide the, I'm a media liaison between the PBC, the fighters, and the building of the armory. And to make sure that the, the uh, media folks that are there get access to the information, get access to the fighters, but don't cross the line and upset the television people because they have 100% rights to that product. And Brian will speak because he's, he's seen me do it, but you know, I'm, a I'm an old, old former reporter and my allegiances will always be to local reporters and local media outlets. Yeah. And it's that fine line between how far can that local access get before it's considered that's crossed the line and it's interfered with what the national rights are. And um, the local press will, is here today and they're gonna be here tomorrow. The national people come in, they're in, they're out. And I, that's why I always think, you know, let's really take care of the locals because, you know, you could always make the case, well, you don't need the local press, it's a national show. That, you know, you could say that, but it's what, what, what boxing means to Minnesota is best communicated by our local reporters, the local outlets. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to shut yourself out. You want them to be open, to have access, open to your information, feel welcome, and have all the services they need to do their jobs. And so it's, uh, it's a well-oiled machine. My part is a very small part. Um, but as unpredictable as boxing is to be sitting, you know, those 10 feet from the ring, um, and feel the power of those punches and to see the heartbreak and to see 
the excitement on the win or losing side, it really just puts it in perspective. And it's, it's always been each and every card been a great night of entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. And I can vouch for the work you do. You take, you take care of the reporters and make sure they've got, whether it's uh, making sure they've got their internet access or their lineup sheets or whatever they need, you're, you're on it. And I, 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 I can, I can vouch for that fun just to be a part of it and just to even get a quote from a, fighter afterwards or you know just to feel that energy and and that kind of thing it's uh i'm looking forward to the return of boxing at the army well, yeah, i mean you guys cover this stuff all the time i mean what is tomorrow for boxing i mean how what are our tomorrow's prospects what you know is there a pipeline i mean if, if you had to look down the road i mean are we are we grooming are, are the opportunities available today is boxing still appealing for athletes trying to decide which sport they want to pursue. What, how do you answer that these days? Sean, you want to answer that? You want to take a shot at well, that? I mean, that's a tough question. I think before COVID, um, just from my outside fan point of view, you know, as a guy who follows a sport, it looked like it was still difficult um, because there's so many more sports today for kids to participate in. Um, but it's still one of the most popular sports in the world. And it's hilarious to me um, as a boxing fan, when I'll be talking to someone um, and they think that it's not popular at all. And I'm like, actually, it's still one of the most popular sports in the world. Um, it's the same thing with like someone who doesn't like soccer in America. And it's like, no, it's still one of the most popular sports in the world. And I don't think that that's changing, but if we can't get live fans in the, you know, in the stadiums, it's uh, it's going to really hurt because there is a lot of low level fighters. And I say that um, not to denigrate them, but you know what I mean? Lower level, as far as pay scale goes um, where they're not making the millions, they're making maybe thousands and um, they might be fed a lot to make, you know, to make ends meet. And if they can't get fights or like when we were talking to our buddy, Eric uh, of one, two boxing LLC promotions, how he made a great point about that. Well, some of these guys, you know, if they got to, leave and go and sit somewhere for a week and not be working. Um, so they're actually maybe losing money. Um, so yeah, I think if we can't get back to, you know, higher capacities at the very least, and maybe not full capacity shows, but we're not having really any shows here in Minnesota. So that's killing us. Um, I think we got to get back to at least partial capacity. I heard that uh, governor walls was going to be talking soon about getting some uh, butts and seats for the twins games and, so on and so forth. So hopefully that'll translate to getting some boxing shows, you know, with fans, because I know we're all dying for it. And I know a lot of fighters are, I mean, we've got fighters traveling to Iowa, to California, and um, I'm sure other places, you know, just to try and make their living. Um, you know, the, the capacity of the armory, the capacity of the armory is over 8,000. You know, that's, if you were to say, what, what's the capacity, how many could you put in here? So you if the model or the acceptable is going to be 25%, okay, I mean, 2,000 people spread out at a boxing cart at the armory would be a, that would be a really good crowd. I mean, they could make a lot of noise in there, sure. assuming that you could space them enough that everybody would be safe. And based on, you know, the percentage of people that have had the vaccine and will continue to get the vaccine. Um, we might be inching closer to, you know, it might be possible in August and September. I know that uh, the Live Nation promoters have gone on the record to say that they're starting to get their acts scheduled and booked for the fall. And when they do to go put their tickets up for sale, they're going to require that you can show that you've been vaccinated. That's going to be one of your uh, triggers to be able to buy a ticket. I mean, they're going to put a condition on that. And I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know if, if the state, if you can do, you know, I don't know if there's going to be challenged, if there's a legal precedent to that. Um, but I think if we can be safe and if venues can, uh, I mean, if the twins are going to get 10,000 outside to watch a baseball game, putting 2000 in the armory doesn't sound unreasonable. No, not at all. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, scale it, you know, whatever Hinckley would need to do or whatever the convention center would do. I mean, um, 
It just, it's, it's, it sounds like in a month ago, we might even having this conversation, but it sounds as we sit today that that's optimistic, that we might be able to have some, some semblance of order back in the fall. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I sure hope that happens. Uh, I really miss the sport and I miss those live events. And, you know, at the Armory, we see not just the local guys like Jamal James, of course, is a huge draw, uh, David Morrell, um, you know, others, Vishan Owens has fought there and other local guys, but some of the national guys too, this Frank Sanchez, uh, one of Louis' fighters, uh, yep. big, strong Cuban heavyweight. Um, the, the towering inferno of Sebastian Fundura and uh, watching him fight has been a real treat. And just some of these other guys that, you, like you said before, Rob, or I, maybe as you made that point, Sean, that you see these guys now and you see them on national television and so, sort of starting to really make a name for themselves. And uh, yeah, it's just a treat to be able to watch them here and, and see these guys um, locally. So. And, uh, yeah, I think there was only one. Yeah, one. I wasn't. I wasn't at the card. But there's only one memory, which was I was kind of like, oh, and I kind of winced when I saw that it was here in Minnesota. Was that that giant heavyweight oh, when yeah. the guy when the guy oh. walked out? You know, he's yeah. like, he looked across the ring, saw that guy, and was like, hell no, and he got out of the ring. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was in Minnesota. But hey, it was still it was good press for the Armory, you know, because everyone was reading about that crazy incident. So I'm, I'm curious how you handled that, Rob. Did did, did people come up to you and say, what's going on here? Uh, what's it, it went viral, remember? I mean, the, the video, sure. the video, the guy, I mean, if he wouldn't <laughs> have been such a mountain of a man, I mean, you know, I can run from somebody and they say, I don't blame him. He's, he's not, okay, <laughs> this guy, this guy was Paul Bunyan, right? I mean, he was a, yeah. a mountain of a guy. I mean, what's, why is he running from anybody? He can defend himself. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that, that's what made that such a, a, a memorable uh, uh, video post. Um, there wasn't yeah. much discussion. I mean, the guy, you know, I don't remember his name. Does anybody remember his name? It's top of my head, I can't. But the, 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 the guy, Effie Jagba was the heavyweight who was, who, you know, was. Who uh, walked out? No, that's the guy. That's the guy who intimidated him. Exactly. Oh, okay. But, um, so, uh, yeah, he, and he's a, he's a really good prospect, uh, a good undefeated heavyweight. But yeah, this other guy, the way I walked out, didn't want to have anything to do with him. But well, wasn't that a salary to of some kind of a dispute over money or something? Right, right, if remember. you remember, that's what he was. He was mumbling. I mean, we were just yeah. because we were close enough, we could hear. It was something about he wanted to redo his contract. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think he forgot he was on national television and, you know, oh, by the way, you know, that yeah, had good. to be worked out long before now. Well, I'm out of here. Okay. Yeah, good Good luck getting another payday now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> After pulling this stunt like that. But, uh, you know, that was a, that was column fodder for Pat Royce. And uh, oh, I think yeah. we had a world championship fight on that card. And this is the fight everybody talks about and writes about, but you know, that's boxing. Talking about local media at the uh, at the Armory shows and how you were trying to get them, you know, um, get them to the fighters and try and get them a little bit more access, Rob. How many um, on average would you say, you know, are you getting at these fights from the local media? Um, and is it like mainly newspapers? Or are you getting TV guys um, or gals? Um, just kind of curious what the what the turnout has been. Well, it, it's a mix. Um... And we, we set space to accommodate between 50 and 60 for a card. And it's probably half national and half local. Um, I mean, if we get, if we get 20 local, local uh, podcasters, bloggers, writers, you know, I mean, we've been fortunate enough to get the Star Tribune to quite a few cards. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a lot of the more medium outlets too, but we, I mean, we, we get about, I'd say there's 20, there's, there's 20 local outlets that, that either cover the news conference, cover the weigh-in or come to the fight. And it is a little restrictive to cover the fight if you're a local TV station, because you can't get access until after the, they say goodnight on television. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
Now, if it's a, if, if it's Fox sports, those cards, they end at 10 o'clock central. Okay. I mean, they, and it's 11 o'clock Eastern or thereabout, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. So local TV has a chance to get some stuff, if not for that day to use the next day. Um, but we did some cards on FS1 where there's no hard out. Remember, Brian? We, we were there almost one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they just right. went on and on and on. And so that that time deadline doesn't allow local, te- it's not very friendly for television. Yeah. But but radio guys and, you know, Common uh, is a big boxing guy over at K-Fan. And, and the ring announcer too. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's a big boxing guy. Eric Nelson from CCO Radio is a big boxing guy. Yeah. Um, uh, Philip Wise on the KQ Morning Show has come to a lot of fights. Um, Sometimes, I mean, the boxing writers and media guys, they, they kind of, they're under the radar, but you're either all in, you're passionate, and this is, you know, you follow it like no other, or you don't. Yeah. I mean, and I think you could go to a Twins press box, a Wild press box, and I think they're there more as a casual fan. But I think if, if you were to, to, to question any media member who actually got a credential and, and is covering that fight, chances are they know more about the history and they know more about the fighters on that card than most reporters would that are just stopped by the press box to have a free hot dog at a Twins game. I just yeah. think it's it's a different it's a different breed of reporter. I think they're more vested in the product and the people. That's yeah. been my experience. Yeah, for sure, I would agree with that. And uh, you know, it's good that we've had, like you mentioned, some TV people at the the, the weigh-ins and news conferences too, yep. right? And oh, yeah. uh, Pat Royce and and uh, Jim Suhan from the Strip have done some real nice columns on Armory shows. I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the fight itself, a fight night, but but there's a lot that just goes into, we didn't even get into the, the weigh-in, the press conferences, the, just uh, generating the uh, publicity before the event. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that as well, right? Well, there is, and it's, um, and it's instantaneous. I mean, the, the social media post about... <clears throat> a fighter didn't make weight or you know mm-hmm. the commission is reconsidering this and yeah. uh, what so-and-so had to say and uh you know are there were there immigration issues and traveling and i mean there's all this that is going on and, and again i mean boxing you know they don't have boxing doesn't have a home you don't have a home game in boxing mm-hmm. right i mean it's like a carnival I mean, they, they put up the tent in that whatever town and they, people from all over the world show up and they, they hope that they're going to be judged fair and honestly, and the winner moves on. Yeah. And it's so, so much happens in so many moving parts. And that's, I admire the way as flexible that people in boxing need to be because it's just forever changing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why anybody that's ever been to a boxing news conference, they don't start on time, okay? And if you cover boxing, you know that, right? So nobody complains when it's 20 minutes after the time everything was supposed to get, nobody says, hey, what's going on, okay? It's just a given, okay? Now, if you were a casual reporter and you walked in at the baseball uh, baseball news conference, you'd say, what's going on? You know, they cancel this thing? And he's like, oh, no, 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 we're running two minutes late boxing you know when it happens it happens and you know those that hang in there they get good stuff yeah it's funny too you talked about how if there's like you mentioned like if somebody doesn't make weight or something and you know everything's instant news now right it's going to be on twitter and within seconds or you know that's just kind of the 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 bit the nature of the business now um Back in the 70s and 80s, when you were at KSTP, it was just a whole different ball game. I remember then, you know, if we wanted to get our sports news, we tuned into Rob Lear or we picked <laughs> yeah. up the paper, we, you know, read Sid's column or whatever. And um, 
that's just how you got your news back then. And, and now it's so much different. Uh, any thoughts on what it would be like, you know, the difference between then and now in wow. covering sports? Um, I have no regrets that I went through my electronic television broadcast career at the time that I did. Um, there was something special about holding your best stuff for the 10 o'clock news. And that's what was mm -hmm. in this market driving audiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, now when you got it, you got to flaunt it. You better get it out there. Yeah. And uh, not at the risk of not getting it right. Because if you, you, know, you get a reputation that you move too fast and you've only got your facts 50-50, yeah. you know, you're not that you're not going to do yourself or anybody any favors. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I marvel at the speed that things get reported these days. Um, and as competitive as I am, and I mean, I, I wanted to be first with everything that I, when I was on the street, that's, that's, that's what motivated me. Um, I don't know. It, it might've taken years out of my life. I mean, I, I mean, I, this, you know, you know, um, uh, Darren Doogie Wolfson over at Channel Five. I mean, he is—he—he's remarkable. I mean, he is working all the time. He's tweeting all the time, and he breaks a lot of stories. And I mean, I think what he does—it's got to be self-consuming. I mean, you just—you know—and he'll go and he'll—he'll—he'll he'll, he'll post something. He'll tweet something and say. Sorry, I took my son to the doctor. Well, I hope you got time to take care of your family, you know, but he's almost having to apologize why he missed the announcement of a, you know, I think it was the Ryan Sand uh, Saunders uh, firing or something. He, yeah. You know, he'd been offline for half an hour and things all blew up. But so it was Brian a different time. And uh, there was something special, you know, uh, uh, you guys might not even remember any of this, but um, it was a big deal when the University of Minnesota hired uh, Joe Salem as a football coach. Oh, yeah. Um, and Joe Salem followed um, uh, Cal Stahl, right, as, uh, as a football coach in the, uh, in the early 80s. And um, I had been working. That was the first year I was working at KSTP. And I took... I said, I'm going to find out who the next football coach was going to be at the university of Minnesota. I was going to, I just, I was, I was going to dog that till I found out. Mm -hmm. And, um, anyway, long story short, Joe Salem was living in Northern Arizona. He was coaching at Northern Arizona. He had a teenage son named Tim who now is like, he coaches someplace. I mean, he's a college coach or a pro coach. He was living, you know, he was a teenager living in his house and his dad was coaching at right, Northern Arizona. Right, right. And in this time that the, the Gophers had fired Cal Stahl, they're looking for a coach and, you know, was it going to be Bobby Ross of Maryland? Was it going to be this guy, that guy? Um, I was making my daily checks and I, I called the Salem house, you know, nobody had cell phones back at that time. Mm -hmm. And I get Joe's son, Tim on the phone. I say, Hey, Tim. You know, Rob Lear, Minneapolis. He says, hey, says, my dad's on a plane. He's coming to Minneapolis. <laughs> nice. I said, I said, really? I said, I had heard that, but I said, you know, is he coming to talk or, oh, no, he's coming to, they're going to make, he's going to get the job. We're coming, we're going to move to Minneapolis. Wow. Okay. So in those days, you know, where's Northwest Airlines, Phoenix, the Minneapolis, if he's in the air now, when's the next flight that's going to land? Mm -hmm. Get my camera. In those days, you could go right down to the gate. So we go right down to the gate. Here he comes off the plane. The university representative meeting him is kind of standing back. You know, he had no idea that a camera crew was going to be meeting the coach, right? This guy was just supposed to give him a ride to the Board of Regents office where they could finalize, you know, the final offer. And I meet Joe Salem with a camera and we conducted a five minute interview. And of course he doesn't know that the school doesn't know. It all happened so fast. Oh, geez, I couldn't be more excited. It's going to be a great opportunity. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. And this was 
11.45 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And we sat on the film, we sat on the story, and it played at 10 o'clock as the lead oh. story on the news. And that will never happen again. No. I mean, that was just yeah. a different era. Yeah. And that story, and then, then the, the Star Tribune did a story that made some late editions of the paper for the next day, which would, would have had to have attributed KSTP as you know, uh, confirming, because we had Joe Salem telling us on camera that uh, he was excited about this new job. And uh, so yes, deadlines have changed. Um, yeah. I just remember how exhilarating it was as a reporter, trying to sweat out those 10 hours between noon and 10 o'clock and thinking, you know, can we sit on this? Mm -hmm. Now, in today's times, the university should have called the news conference at two o'clock, right? Mm -hmm. They should have preemptively said, okay, we're not gonna let this get on with a big splash and then make everybody else unhappy, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only imagine what Sid's reaction was. That <laughs> oh, and he was a University of Minnesota <laughs> guy, man. Oh, that yeah. Was yeah. Well, yeah. And so anyway, it, uh, th those, I love, I love reporting and that's, uh, you know, th that's what I love to do was to get it right, get it first and get it on. Yeah, absolutely. Good work. Yeah. Great story. Awesome. Absolutely. Do you have anything else, Sean? Oh, I just wanted to say thanks. I know we've been chatting your ear off, Rob. It's nice yeah. to meet you. Um, yeah, and nice hear to your stories. You. Um, like we were saying, I can't wait to get back to watching fights, you know, especially at the armory. It's really special, but I love watching it boxing anywhere, whether it's in the small little venue or even watching guys spar in the gym, um, is fun. But, uh, you know, I can't wait to get to the armory and I'd love to see some of those, uh, press conferences or something someday. I know on my schedule is kind of tough. Brian and informed me about one once and I was like, man, I'm working, <laughs> but, um, that's cool. You know, um, I'm really in intrigued real, what are you by doing your real job when you're not following boxing. Uh, I'm in the optical industry. So, okay. um, I used to be traveling all the time and now with COVID, I'm not really traveling anymore. Um, but I'm in Brooklyn park, um, working in the optical business. So well, that's, that's 15 minutes from the armory. There's no reason that our next boxing news conference, you can't, you can't sneak away for lunch. <laughs> all right are you heard it brian i've got rob's permission i'm sneaking away all right hey rob Bye, guys good to see you my friend we'll thank you talk to you later all right take care see you